0: Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our dangerous prayer series in which we are challenged to pray for incredible things from God and believe that he will answer. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. If we're honest, most people, most Bible-believing most Bible Christians, uh, most churchgoers, we're really shallow in our prayer life. You know, you think about it. A lot of people, you talk about pray. Oh, yeah, I prayed. Well, what'd you pray? Uh, well, I prayed for my breakfast this morning. I, I prayed, God, help me today. Yeah, no, I, I remember one time I was almost in a car wreck and I prayed, God, save me. And God stopped my, you know, stopped my car inches from where I was going. And, and while those things are good and fine, the truth is that God has designed it that prayer would be a way that we connect with him and our relationship with him. He speaks to us through the word of God. We speak to him through prayer. And God didn't intend it for our prayer life to be something that uh, was just a trivial and surface prayer. God didn't intend that. He intended for us to be able to open our hearts up before him and uh, to pray certain things that would challenge our faith. We've already covered four messages, four thoughts, and there's so many more we could look into. The first one that we saw was uh, out of um, Psalm 25, where the psalmist prayed, teach me, oh God. Man, teach me. And we learned that first week, just the idea of understanding that God uh, desires for us to have the spirit of, Lord, teach me your ways. Help me to know the direction you want my life to go. We learned teach me, a prayer of, of learning. We learned save me. The word say or the, the phrase save me is a prayer of of desperation. Lord save me! That was Peter in Matthew chapter number 14, as he 's sinking in the water. He cried out, "Lord, help me, Lord, save me!" And uh, in desperation, he turned to the Lord because he 'd gotten his focus off of the Lord, and, and we were challenged in that message uh, to not wait until our sinking moments to cry out for help to the Lord. that 's what we do sometimes. We kind of have the mentality of i 've got this, I can handle everything i 'm OK. And then when we fall flat on our backs, that 's when we cry out, "Lord, help me, Lord, save me." Uh, but we need to understand that every day, we, we're desperate for him. Every day I should live with a desperation for him. Lord, I need you today. The third, message of the, uh, yeah, the third message we looked at was a couple of weeks ago, and it was David when he cried out, Lord, search me. Search me, O God. Out of Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, many people look at that verse and they say, well, that was David giving God permission. But if you go and you read the entire passage the whole passage of Psalm 139 is David saying, "Lord, you know me; you already know my heart. You know my thoughts. You know if there's any wickedness in me. You know my motives. You know the intents of my life." And so, him praying, "Search me, O God," is him saying, "Hey, Lord, show me what you know. Show me, show me who I am in your eyes." And then he says, and and. Uh, search me, O God, and know my thoughts. Try me and know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me, and, and then lead me in the way everlasting. Hey, God, give me what you know. So teach me, save me, search me. And then last week, we were in the book of First Chronicles in chapter number four, and we were with a young man. We don't know much about him. We know his name meant pain or sorrow when he was born. His mom said, you are sorrow, and his name was Jabez. The prayer of Jabez simply said, bless me, O God. He prayed, God bless me, and that word bless me, it means be abundantly involved in my life. He didn't say, God bless me, just do good, just make everything hunky-dory. No, he said, God bless me, be abundantly involved in my life by enlarging my coast. Increase my reach, even though it means increasing my struggles. You see, at that time, you didn't get land without fighting for it. And he's saying, God, increase my coast, enlarge my land, increase that. But he knew the struggles were going to come along with that. Bless me, oh God, enlarge my coast. He prayed, bless me, oh God, and be with me. Hey, I don't wanna go unless you're going with me. And he prayed, bless me or be abundantly involved. Uh, The last thing that he said, gotta look and be reminded, is keep me from evil. Man, keep me from evil. Even though it means you correcting me and convicting me, God, keep me from sin, because I know that hinders our fellowship. It hinders that relationship we have. This morning, as we come back into this challenge or as we come back into the series, I want to ask you if you have ever volunteered for something, not really knowing what you were getting yourself into, only to later find out that you probably shouldn't have volunteered. Every one of us probably have had those moments. Uh, maybe for you, it was you volunteering to help someone move, and you didn't know it, but before you knew it, you were packing the truck and driving the truck. Uh, maybe you volunteered to watch someone else's kids and unannounced, they drop their kids off at your house and leave for the weekend. True story, happened with my in-laws. Uh, maybe your, uh, your coworker, you tell a coworker, I'll, I'll help you complete a project only to find out that 10 minutes before that project needs to be done, you're the one doing all the work. We've all been there where we've volunteered for something, not really knowing what we were getting ourselves into. We grew up, I grew up in Greeley, Colorado. My dad, uh, of course, pastored the church there for a number of years. And Greeley, Colorado, really, it's like the center of the U.S. I mean, it's not far from being the central U.S. and we had people drive through our town all the time. People drive through all the time and they knew uh, Dennis Fountainsey, Pastor Fountain, Sr., and they'd call him and, and all the time people were coming through town and he had an open invitation. He'd get up at a meeting. He'd say, hey, if you're ever through Greeley, you call us and you look us up and we'll, we'll, put, you, we'll put you up, give you a place to stay. We'll feed you. You know, I was always just trying to be a, a gracious, hospitable host there. Well, someone took us up on that one time, Christmas morning, 8 o'clock in the morning. 8 o'clock in the morning, Christmas morning, our house phone rings, and it was another pastor, and he said, hey, Brother Fountain. My dad's thinking, oh, he's just calling to wish us Merry Christmas, you know. He said, hey, Pastor Fountain, I'm. this is so-and-so, and uh, man, you remember that one meeting one time when you said that we could call you if we were ever in town, that you'd put us up in a place to stay, that you'd help us have a meal, and I know everything that was transpired on that phone call. My dad says, yes, I remember that. He said, well, we're about 10 minutes from your house at a gas station down the road. Can we stop by? You do know it's Christmas, right? Yeah, what a great day to celebrate together, and we're going to have a meal. They had this whole day planned out. Long story short, we celebrated Christmas that day with a a family that we didn't know who was a pastor from a town outside of our state. Actually, he was from Washington, wasn't he? Look how God works, you know? Uh, man, they didn't know. My dad, when he said, you can come by any he didn't know what he was volunteering for. Every one of us, we have times in our life when we volunteered for something only to find out that we got ourselves in over our head. Well, this morning, I'm gonna challenge you to do it again. I'm gonna challenge you to volunteer yourself for something that you really don't know what you're getting yourself into. However, I will tell you that this volunteering that you'll do, it'll bring probably some of the greatest joy, peace, and encouragement into your life that you'll ever receive. It's a dangerous prayer that I'm going to challenge you with this morning. It's not safe. It's not harmless. It's not self-centered. The prayer that I'm going to talk with you about this morning actually requires great faith. And it's risky because it's almost always going to move you to action. The prayer that's going to challenge your faith this morning, almost always it will lead you to do something that you will not think is comfortable, natural, or easy. It will definitely cause you to step out of your comfort zone. But with this prayer, with this step of faith, comes a fulfillment and really a destination that you would otherwise never know. It's a prayer of unreserved surrender and ability to God, and it was prayed by Isaiah in Isaiah chapter number 6. If you would stand with me, Isaiah chapter number 6. We're just going to read, but Isaiah 6 and verse 8, Isaiah the great prophet writes this, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said Isaiah, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. As you look at this verse, we read of Isaiah answering a question. The question was, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Who will be our our ambassador? This is the Lord speaking. This is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit having a conversation in heaven And Isaiah, without knowing the details, without knowing when, where, or what, Isaiah prayed a stunning, life-altering prayer of five simple words. Here am I, send me. This morning, we're going to be challenged to do the same. To every day pray a prayer of surrender, God, here am I, send me. A prayer of availability without really knowing what's going to be asked or what's going to be challenged, I'm asking you this morning to volunteer. And so I wanna pray with you and then understand what that means for us and what it takes for us to have the spirit that Isaiah had in Isaiah chapter six. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, simple of God, please speak to me. God, please speak to me. And then would you make a commitment that as God speaks to you, that you're listening to him. God, as you speak to me, I'm listening to you. Dear Lord, I wanna come before you today and thank you again for the word of God. I thank you for how you use it in our lives and how you uh, help us become more like Jesus. And I pray that as we get into your word this morning, I ask you that you would speak. I pray that your word would have the impact, that your spirit would have freedom to work in us, God, if there's someone today under the sound of my voice, whether they're here in person or online, and they don't know that heaven is where they would spend eternity, God, I pray that today be the day they put their faith and their trust in you and in you alone. And, Lord, I want to ask you this morning that as we go through the service that you would arrest our attention. Lord, that you would capture our minds and help us to know what you have for us. And, Father, that you'd help us to know how to make the decision that you want us to make. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your love. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. You go ahead and be seated. I wanna ask you as we get started this morning, have you ever noticed how uh, most people, most people live for what they can get rather than what they can give? Uh, Whether it's in a marriage, a friendship, a workplace, a church, or a business, most people are driven by what they can get rather than what they can uh, invest or give. And it's with this in mind, that some of the most famous words were ever said in a presidential speech back in 1961. And whether you agree with the politics of this president or not, the words that John F. Kennedy said in his inauguration speech in 1961 still ring out in our country today. Those words were really just one simple phrase talking about not being just a receiver, but a giver. And it's these words. Ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. Ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do For your country. John F. Kennedy spoke those words really as a plea. And it was a plea for, uh, at that time, the right and left, and they don't seem so far right and so far left now when we look back in history. But uh, at that time, he was pleading hey, listen, if you are an American, quit being a consumer, just a consumer, and start being a contributor. Start giving back to your country. And His statement was really a challenge for that generation and generations coming after him uh, to just start being involved. Hey, start being a part of something that's bigger than you. It was a plea to do more again than consume, but to decide that your life would contribute. And what I want to bring out to you this morning, I want to present a thought today is what if, what if we took that thought, the thought that he gave about the country, and what if we applied that to our Christianity and to our prayer life? Rather than asking God to always serve us, what if we turned around and said, God, how can I serve you? Rather than saying, what can I get from God? What if we prayed, God, what can I accomplish for you? As a pastor, and of course, we're coming up, this is our 10th year. We'll, have, we'll complete it in, in March, so pastoring for uh, um, nine and a half years now. As a pastor, I've been involved in some prayer requests and some of the most uh, dear prayer requests to the hearts of people. Over the years, honestly, one of the most common phrases that I've heard is, Pastor, can you pray for? Fill in the blank. And to be honest, I, I, I do consider it a privilege and an honor and a responsibility to, uh, uh, to pause and to pray for people's needs. Maybe praying for God to have mercy on somebody, or for the Lord to uh, to move, or to guide, or to give direction, or to maybe provide for something, or uh, for God to act—maybe a miracle on someone's behalf of cancer or something like that—and and each and every week, really, somebody prays that God would. Would heal a loved one, or would uh, help somebody find a job, or would restore a a hurting marriage, or uh, provide for school or for college, or help deal with a a divorce going on, or deal with a a wayward child or a grandchild, or praying for a spouse, or praying for God to help somebody forgive somebody who hurt them, or uh, maybe somebody just praying and praying and asking, Pastor, would you please pray that God would work in my life and just give me peace? I just I feel totally unrested right now, and. You know what? There's a lot of prayer requests that are super important. And the fact of the matter is this that while every request is important, all too often we have a mentality of God, help me, or God, help someone I know or I love. Lord, I need you. God, do this for me. And don't get me wrong this morning, we should definitely pray this way, shouldn't we? As a matter of fact, God says in Scripture, Bring all your requests to me. Matthew chapter six, hey, you need to go to God. Shut shut your door and pray to secret. And thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. And all of this is true that we should definitely have a prayer life that begs God to work on our behalf. We should always invite his presence and his power and his peace to intervene and to work in our lives. We should ask God to do miracles. We should lift people up in prayer. We should pray for our country. All of these things are true. But can I tell you this morning that we shouldn't stop there? What if we refuse to just pray pray for ourselves and instead of asking God to always do something for us, what if we prayed this dangerous, self-denying prayer of availability to God? God, I'm not asking you to just do things for me. Lord, here's my requests, but God, hears my heart. Here am I, Lord, send me. God, I surrender. What if we had a courageous faith to surrender to God every day, telling God that we're all his? What if instead of always asking God to do things on our behalf, we dared to ask God to use us on his behalf? What if we made ourselves available? What if we prayed, Lord, here am I, send me? That prayer is exactly what Isaiah prayed. He didn't know what God was going to ask. He didn't know what God wanted. He didn't know where God would send him. He did not know what he was being sent for, and yet he simply prayed, yes, Lord, whatever it is, send me. But the fact is that this is a hard thing to pray because it requires us to surrender our plans It requires us to surrender our preferences. It requires us to go where he tells, speak to whom he tells us to speak to, tells us to do what he wants. It's complete surrender. And it's not easy really to answer such a call because we're tempted for excuses. Oh, God, I'll serve you when. God, I can't do that because... God is simply looking for people to be willing vessels to say, here am I, send me. But this morning, I want to present to you this thought, that before we have faith and courage to pray and live out such a dangerous prayer, there are some things in your life that have to take place. Before you will ever pray and have a spirit of, here am I, Lord, send me, there are some things that have to take place. I first want us to see today that before we ever pray, God send me, we must first see who he is. Before I ever pray it, I'm not, I'm not going to pray, God send me, unless I first see who he is. Notice what took place in Isaiah's life in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. The word of God says this in Isaiah 6, 1 through 4. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. I saw him sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain, or with two, he covered his face, and with twain, two, he covered his feet, and with two, twain, he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth, the whole earth is full of his glory and the the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried and the house was filled with smoke. In our passage, it took Isaiah really getting a glimpse of God before he was able to pray this prayer of surrender. As the passage opens up, we find, (coughs) excuse me, in in the book of Isaiah, what's taking place is uh, Judah, the king of Judah, Uzziah, is just going to die. As a matter of fact, Uzziah, he has reigned prosperously over the nation of uh, the people of Judah, that southern tribe or southern area of Israel, reigned over them for for 50 years. For 50 years, he was a good king. As a matter of fact, the word of God says that he did that which was right in his own eyes. But toward the end of his life, Second Chronicles, he stepped He stepped in disobedience with God. And the word of God records this in 2 Chronicles 26, 16, that when he was strong, speaking of Uzziah, his heart, it was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. What happened in Uzziah's life is pride crept into his heart and uh, it caused him to uh, step into the office of priest, something that he was not supposed to do. And because of this, the Lord corrected him, gave him leprosy, and he would go on his deathbed and deal with leprosy and, until he died. But it was the death of Uzziah, in the year of the death of Uzziah, that Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. Can I bring out a simple thought that sometimes it takes tragedy to drive us to be close to the Lord. Sometimes it takes heartache or great loss or great pain to cause us to recognize exactly who God is. Because it's in those times that his grace truly hugs us. It's in those times that his presence embraces our life. It's in those times that we begin to realize, wow, that's who God is. This is what was taking place in Isaiah's life. In the year that King Uzziah died, he, he saw the Lord. And, well, and whether it was <clears throat> the, the death of Uzziah or just the circumstances in the kingdom, we don't know exactly what it was, but we know that Isaiah said, hey, listen, during that time of my life, I drew near unto the Lord. And Isaiah didn't just read about God or or hear others talk about God. The Bible says that he saw the Lord. He had a a personal experience and. While we know, living in in, uh, the 21st century and living in this side of the cross, that God does not work in that way anymore. The Bible says that he doesn't give open revelations or visions or dreams like that. No, he's revealed himself to us through the word of God. During that time, God revealed himself through visions and dreams. And Isaiah literally saw Jesus sitting on the throne. He saw God, the Father. He saw Jesus sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. When you dig into all of this, that's what he saw. He had a close drawing to the Lord and John 12, 41, it says, Jesus spoke this, these things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and he spake of him, talking about Jesus. He experienced the presence of God in a very unique way And, and in his presence, Isaiah was stunned. As a matter of fact, He was shaken and he was astounded. He saw God high and lifted up. He saw God exalted. And his train, the back of his his robe, it filled the temple. The prophet does his best to use human words to describe the, the heavenly creatures that were encircling the throne of God that day. They're called seraphim, angelic fiery beings with six wings who were surrounding The the Lord on his throne. And because of the holiness of God, these heavenly creatures had to cover their face and cover their feet. And the Bible tells us that Isaiah says, here's what they were crying out. Continuously, they were crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. We read later in scripture that these things are, this is being said night and day in the presence of God. 24-7, though time is not in heaven, we can calculate the time with that uh, because we operate under the law of time. So we can say 24-7 that every day, every night, they don't stop proclaiming, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts, is the Lord God Almighty. And as a matter of fact, it says that it's so powerful that when these words are spoken, the posts of the... Doors of that entrance into that throne room of God literally shake. Their voices boom loud enough that the voice, the the, the temple shakes, the dwelling place of God Most High. And Isaiah, he got a glimpse of this. He got a glimpse of who God was. I want to ask you this morning. When's the last time that you had such an encounter with God that you were left in awe of who he was? I'll ask it this way. When is the last time you were in awe of the glory and holiness of God? Too often these days, many people, we treat God very casually and very trivially. Trivially. We pretend like... Uh, that God, and and some people refer to him this way, and I hope hope you don't, but some do. Well, he's just the big man in the sky. You know, God's just the the man upstairs watching over me. Well, I'm good with the big guy. You know, I, I hear that often. But can I tell you that sometimes, and more often than not, how we see God comes nowhere close to the character of who God is. And how we view God comes nowhere close to the truth of the majesty that he is. If you and I ever really caught a true vision of God in his purest essence, I promise you that you would never refer to him as the pal from down the road. I want you to think with me very quickly about who God is. Let me give you just a... Some attributes and a quick glimpse of who he is. And as I go through these, I want you to think about the awe and the grandeur of his glory. Consider that God is the creator of heaven and earth. The scripture calls him the God of glory, the great I am, the righteous Father, the eternal King. He is the God of all comfort, the God of all grace, and the God of all peace. He is God Almighty. And if you know him as your savior, then in your life, you can say with the psalmist, he is my rock and my refuge and my strength. He is my savior, my forgiver. He is my king and he is my advocate. He is my comforter when I hurt and when I have sorrow. He is the strength that I have when I am weak. He is my helper and my deliverer. He is my hiding place. He is my hope. He is my light. He is my song. And hopefully he is my everything. The truth is that God, he is holy and he is set apart there is none like him the bible says that the earth is filled with his glory and if this world and you and i we've seen some majestic places in this world that does not even touch the surface of who god the creator is this morning but what's amazing is that this holy otherworldly god he is slow to anger and slow to wrath and yet he is abounding in love not love just for humanity but love for you And when you were born, you were born in sin. And yet 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross to die for the very sin that you would commit and that you would continue to commit. That was God the Father, God who came down, who sent his son Jesus to become flesh. And in your place had nails, your nails driven into his hands that should have been your hands and that cat of nine tails that should have whipped your back and my back. And yet Jesus Christ stood in our place. That's God the Father, that's God the Son, that's God the Holy Spirit. This is God, eternal. And if you know Him as your Savior, then when you aware of His, when you become aware of His presence in your life, you will not be the same. But someone might say, "Well, I get it. I if I saw God like Isaiah did, then yeah, I would be different." Uh, Pastor, you just said we don't have these visions, but I, I've never experienced the presence of God like that. My time with the Lord, it doesn't, it doesn't have that kind of experience. Can I tell you this morning, and encourage you to rethink your time with God because just as Isaiah saw the Lord, you and I can see the Lord. As a matter of fact, in the book of Peter, Peter says that we have a more sure word. He was talking about the Mount of Transfiguration and being upon that mountain and seeing Jesus Christ um, transfigured into his heavenly figure. And in that moment, he said, wow, this is amazing. Let's build, let's build a, a tents or altars to you. Let's worship you and Moses and Isaiah. Let, let's do this, and, or Enoch. And he, he says, let's pray this and let's go through it. And God, the Bible says that in that moment, A voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And he's standing there with Jesus alone. And man, you think about that experience of seeing Jesus Christ literally transfigure into his heavenly persona. And yet, Peter writes, Because of scripture, we have a more sure word. It's better for you that you have the canonization, that you have the, the word of God in your life than what I saw on the Mount of Transfiguration. So, can I tell you, don't look at your time with the Lord as well, it's just never that good. The Bible says this in James 4, that if we'll draw nigh to him, he'll draw nigh to us. And when you experience God for who he really is, you will actually enjoy praying, Lord, send me with such vulnerability. Because it's this God who says, I wanna use you. It's this God who created everything who says, I have a purpose, not just for everything. We like to think about, well, God has a purpose for everybody and everything. No, God has a purpose for you. He died for you. I remember growing up, my dad said it a long time ago, if you were the only person on this earth, Jesus Christ still would have come and died for you. That's how important you are to the creator God. this is what Isaiah saw. He realized who God was. Can I tell you that you and I, we will never pray, God send me, unless we see who he is. We'll never pray, God send me, unless we understand who we are. You Never pray, God send me, unless you understand who you are. Notice in our passage, Isaiah chapter six, when Isaiah got a glimpse of God, notice what took place next in verse number five. After Isaiah had that experience, it says, then said I, woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This is an incredible verse. When Isaiah saw the Lord, when he got a glimpse of who God was, it caused him to look at himself and realize who he was before God. Notice what he, what he said. The phrase, woe is me, it's a phrase of amazement. It's him saying, I can't believe this moment. Surely I am gonna die because mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. It's a phrase of utter amazement saying, oh, wow, wow, I'm dead for sure. That's what the phrase is. Woe is me, man, I am a, I am, I'm a goner. The phrase, I am undone, it means I am cut down, I am destroyed, I am ruined. And then he says why he would say this. Because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among the people, amidst, amidst, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And Isaiah's response was that of complete humility before the Lord. He said, I am totally unqualified to be here in the presence of God. I am wicked, and I am sinful, and I am unworthy, and everybody around me is the same. None of us have a a cause to stand here. Because mine eyes have seen the King. This was a response of most people in the Old Testament when they truly encountered God. They realized who he was and how unworthy they were. They understood that we as mankind, we have absolutely no right to stand before God and to be in his presence, and they feared that death was the next step in the process. And can I just say this morning that when you get a glimpse of who God is, it will help you to see yourself more clearly. You know why some of us think that we're okay and that we go through life and, well, I, you know, I I'm, I'm, have my checklist, I'm doing my, my Christian duties, I'm fulfilling these things, and we go through life thinking we're not so bad. The reason is because we're comparing ourselves to other people instead of comparing ourselves to the only perfect one. When's the last time you stepped back and you realized who you are before him? To to work here and to meet with us one day, and we invite the presence of God and we ask God to come and to, to work here and to meet with us. And can I tell you this morning that He does, and we don't deserve it. We have absolutely no right to ask the King of eternity to dwell within us. Why? Because we're sinners. And it's not an excuse oh, well, we're sinners. No, 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 no. We've chosen sin. And all too often, we easily choose sin. Don't you hate how easy it is to sin sometimes? And Brian was talking on Thursday night and, and talking about when you got saved, God didn't just zap you up to heaven. Man, sometimes I'm like, I wish he would have. You know, because then you don't have to deal with sin anymore. And the fact of the matter is that sin is going to haunt you and I until the day that we die. And who we are before God is sinners with absolutely no reason, no reason to be in his presence. Most believers today probably feel like they have a pretty good glimpse of themselves before God and all too often we see ourselves as a gift to God's cause, almost thinking, you know, God's pretty lucky to have me. And while we would never say it, we often live it. We don't feel that we're that bad. We compare ourselves to Maybe the lost, or to, to those who don't know Jesus, or to somebody who's not living for Him, and we say, You know, we're not too bad. But we're wrong. Because He is high and lifted up, and my response to Him ought to be Woe is me, I am undone. God, I don't deserve anything from You. God, I don't deserve to be in Your presence. Lord, I don't deserve to have a relationship with you. God, I don't deserve to meet with you. I don't deserve for you to walk with me. I don't deserve for you to want to work in my life. I don't deserve to be called called your child. I don't deserve forgiveness that you give so freely. I don't deserve your presence. I don't deserve eternal life in heaven. God, I don't deserve anything. When we see how good God is, we become acutely aware of how good we are not. (laughs) His holiness reveals our sinfulness. This is what happened to Isaiah. And it's what happens to us in God's presence. And when that prophet saw the glory of God and who God was, he didn't cry out, wow, I'm amazing. Wow, I'm holy and perfect like him. Isaiah recognized the depths of his own depraved heart. and He said, woe is me. I'm undone. I'm a sinner and I dwell in the midst of sinners. Before we will ever pray, Lord, here am I, send me. We gotta first understand who we are before God. We've gotta understand who he is. And I'm gonna tell you this morning that we'll never have the faith, courage, or willingness to pray, send me, unless we remember what he did. Don't miss it this morning as we look at this last thought. Look at verse six and seven. In that moment, it says, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away. Thy sin is purged. I love this because at the depths of Isaiah's despair, he experienced the deepness of God's grace. And in this moment, this undeserving, sinful person was made right with God. That angelic being, that seraphim, took a hot coal from off of the altar of God. And when that creature touched his lips with that coal, the The seraphim said, lo, this hath touched thy lips, touched thy mouth, and your iniquity, your sin, it's forgiven, it's purged. Imagine the power of that moment. Think about it. Isaiah, he has never been more aware of how incredibly holy God is, and yet he's never been more aware of how incredibly sinful he is. He has his sin and his shame on his mind. And with one touch, it's all forgiven. It's all forgotten. It's all gone. He experienced the grace of God. He who stood unworthy now stands worthy. He who stood unforgiven now stands forgiven and able to be in the presence of the Almighty. Can you think with me? What was he thinking? It doesn't record for us a lot of what Isaiah was thinking, but I, I don't know. And it just came to my mind. I think when I get to heaven, I want to ask him, like, what were you thinking in that moment? Because we know that in that moment, that moment of complete forgiveness, complete enablement to stand in the presence of God, I don't think he was like, huh, that was cool. Oh, that's pretty interesting. I think he was humbled. I think he was probably in celebration. Can I tell you today that if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, if you're in Christ, then you've had that moment. You've had the moment of complete forgiveness. In the same way that that coal removed Isaiah's guilt and sin, when you got saved, the blood of Jesus Christ removes your guilt and removes your sin. You see, the truth is that Jesus Christ came to the earth and he lived a perfect life and he died in your place and my place, what we just talked about a moment ago. He died for your sin and the the Bible says that when you put your faith and I put my faith and my trust in him, asking him to forgive me of my sin and come into my life, the scripture says, you shall be saved. It doesn't say might be saved. It doesn't say hopefully it will happen. It says shall be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus said, I have come not to... uh, to kill and to destroy, but I have come to give life and to give it more abundantly. Jesus came, Luke 19, 10, to seek and to save that which was lost. And so when you put your faith in Christ, listen, your sin, just like Isaiah's on that day, it's forgiven and it's forgotten. I want you to think with me about your sins this morning. There's nothing, nothing better to to fuel a faith-filled prayer life than a deep appreciation for the forgiveness of God. I mean, after all, God, he wipes away all of your lies. He takes away all of your hatred. He cleanses your sin. That's something that you and I should just embrace. Our self-centered decisions are forgiven, our anger, our bitterness, our boasting, our jealousy, our envy, all your sins, your evil thoughts, your greed, your hypocrisy, your gossip, your secret lust, your, your pride, your ingratitude, your materialism, your unbelief, everything, it is forgiven and it is taken away the moment that you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. Listen, my friend, that is something that can only happen. It can only happen through him. And when you put your faith and trust in him, it's forgiven. It is forgotten. We can't even think about that. But Jesus said, and God said in Psalm 103, verse number 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Isaiah 43, 25. Isaiah would later record the words of God when he said, This, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. Can I tell you this morning that God changes everything in your life? We bring nothing to God, Jesus brings everything. And as I experience the presence of God and I become aware of my sin, I need to calibrate and bring into my thoughts the mindset of the grace of God and the forgiveness of what he's done. And if I know Christ as my Savior, this awareness will then lead me to a fuller understanding of God's amazing grace. We become eternally indebted to him for his, what one man said, extravagant undeserved and matchless grace. And because of what Jesus did for us and because of the grace that he lavishes upon us, suddenly the dangerous prayer of here am I, send me doesn't seem so dangerous. But we'll never have the faith or courage or willingness to pray it unless we first see who he is, remember who we are, understand who we are, and then remember what he did. It's with these things in mind that when Isaiah heard the question in Isaiah 6, 8, whom shall I send and who will go for us? When Isaiah heard that, there wasn't a second thought. He'd been forgiven. He was before creator God with an opportunity to use his life for something bigger than himself. He didn't know what would happen, He didn't know where he was being sent. He didn't know what he was being told. He just simply said, here am I, send me. This morning, the same God who stands alone in holiness and yet has forgiven you and given you grace, that same God is calling you and I every day to pray this prayer. As you go through life, God has appointments planned for you. He has people for you to bless, conversations for you to have, things for you to give, opportunities for you to serve, people for you to share Jesus with. The decision then is mine to make. Am I a consumer, just a consumer, or am I a contributor? Do I just take from God or do I try to invest my life for God? Every day we choose to say, here am I, send me, or we choose to say like Jonah, here am I, but I'm not going. Moses, here am I, but send someone else. Or Isaiah prayed, here am I, send me. This morning when we recognize who he is and all that he's done in our life and then realize that he desires to work in And through our lives, we are foolish to not to want to join him. You say, well, pastor, I feel inadequate. I don't feel like God could really use me. I don't feel like God could use me at my workplace. Listen, I'm not talking today about saying, God, here I am, send me to Africa. Sometimes that's what we think, right? If I pray, God, send me, that God's going to make our worst nightmare come true. I'm talking about your workplace. I'm talking about your neighbors and your family. Being able to say on Sunday, September 13th, God, here am I today, send me. Say, well, I feel inadequate. I feel like I can't do that. Can I just remind you who God has called? He called Moses, who was a murderer. He called David, who was an adulterer. He called Rahab, who was a prostitute. Not only does God call people who did really bad things, but he also calls unusual people, insecure people, inconsistent people. Just think about some of the folks in the Bible that God had called. There's Noah. He's known for getting drunk. Isaiah, he was a timid daydreamer. Or Isaac, excuse me, who was a timid daydreamer. Joseph, who was abandoned. Gideon, who was afraid. There's Jeremiah, who was too young. Abraham was too old. Elijah battled depression. Naomi became bitter. Martha was a worrier. And John the Baptist, he ate bugs and lived in the wilderness. <laughs> this is a far cry from what you and I would call the, uh, the super team. The Gospel of Avengers. Avengers not them. But you know what did, what happened? God still called them, and he still used them. And God hasn't changed. The same God who called imperfect people still calling imperfect people, and now he's calling you. He's calling you this week of, what, second, third week of September in 2020. He's inviting you, nudging you, pulling you, prompting you with this. Will you live beyond you? Will you stop being just a consuming Christian and start being a contributing Christian? Will you surrender to him to go where he sends, to serve, to build, to love, to stand, to pray, to give, to lead? Will you pray, here am I, send me? Let me tell you this morning that when you pray this prayer, you'll be amazed at what God will do. Because you will see people who need encouragement and his spirit will give you the words to encourage them. You'll see someone who has a need and God will prompt you to give and meet that need. You may see someone who's alone and you you, at their time of deepest need show them God's love. Or maybe someone who needs Christ and God opens the perfect opportunity for you to present Jesus. Because you are not only a consuming Christian, but a contributing Christian. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.